Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bold Beautiful Borderline podcast. My name is Lori, and today I am joined by my beautiful husband, Aaron, who is my expert IKEA furniture builder this week. Thank God for him, because I'm grumpy even thinking about building IKEA furniture. So today's episode is the BPD Book Club episode for walking on eggshells uh, and we're doing chapter five together. This will end up being a two-part episode because it's a really long chapter. So this is chapter five, part one of the BPD book club for Stop Walking on Eggshells. Before we start, I just want to say thank you so, so, so much to our new Patreon members. We have five new members, which is awesome. So we have Ashley, Castle, Allison, Nara, or Nara, I'm sorry, I don't know how to say your name, and Shanti. We are so thankful for your support on Patreon and really hope that you're enjoying your bonus content. Uh, There's so much on there, including a BPD Awareness Month series of resources. So really hoping that you're all taking advantage of those. Uh, If you aren't part of our Patreon, please feel free to look us up. We'd really appreciate having you there um, to support the show. And um, to all of our Patreon members that haven't received your cards yet um, now and your stickers, now that my move is over, I'm going to be getting those out into the mail ASAP. So, chapter five, walking on eggshells. This chapter starts out with a really weird quote, in my opinion. I don't know if you thought it was a weird quote, but... I skipped the quote, if I'm being honest. That's fair. That's fair. You have always been a bare minimum kind of guy when it comes to this thing. Uh, I'm just kidding. He does the most. So this episode, or this chapter is called Making Changes Within Yourself. And then the quote that it starts off with is, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent by Eleanor Roosevelt. Weird quote, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I guess I kind of get what it's getting at in the sense that you have to accept that something that someone said is insulting to you for it to be insulting to you. But it's also just kind of shifting of blame onto yourself. Yeah. Yourself rather than it's inferiority, which I don't know. It's just a fucking weird quote to start off with that. It's weird. Um, Okay. So here's the good news. This is reading the book. Here's the good news. You all have the right to your opinions, thoughts, and feelings, good or bad, right or wrong. They make you who you are. And here's the bad news. Everyone else has the right to their opinions, thoughts, and feelings too. You may not agree with everyone else and they may not agree with you. But that is okay, and it's not your job to convince everyone to see things your way. It can be frustrating and heartbreaking to watch people you love act in ways that hurt themselves and others. No matter what you do, you can't control the behaviors of others. Moreover, it's not your job, unless, of course, that person in your BPD with BPD in your life is a minor child. Even then, you can only influence the child's behavior, not control it. And this is a question that Sarah and I get all the time. And actually we're recording this episode just a couple days after we went to the sash bear walk and also went, uh, Sarah and I did a expert webinar series for um, sash, the sash bear organization. And we got essentially this question, like how do I make my family member get treatment? And I mean, I feel like you don't exactly. That's the, that's the answer is like, you don't, but I think it's important for family members to be 
as much like facilitators of that change as possible. Right. So like you can't force somebody to get treatment, but like, if you have the financial resources for them to get treatment, you should say like, whenever you want to get treatment, I will not have, you will not have a barrier financially, or you will not have a barrier with advocacy, or you will not have a barrier with transportation or whatever. Yeah. You can make it as easy as possible for them, but yeah, exactly. And we actually like in British Columbia, uh, which is where Aaron and I live, um, there, I can't remember if, I think it never actually passed, but there was going to be a law because we have like a really bad um, problem with the overdose crisis and the toxic drug supply in BC. And there was actually a proposed law around basically forcing inpatient treatment on children with their parents' consent and not allowing the kid's decision to come into play um, for substance use. And it was really controversial because it's like, well, I mean, my opinion of it is yeah, like you can want to force your kid into treatment all you want, but at the end of the day, like that's going to make them likely more resistant to treatment in the future because they're going to have like terrible memories of what treatment's going to look like. And it's not their own decisions. So, like they're not going to be the ones. Yeah, that's I think an interesting debate because depending on what your position is, you might think the opposite when it comes to religion in people. No, actually, you know, you're saying the exact same thing. Yeah. <laughs> the, the child should get a choice. Never mind. Carry on. Uh, today. Funny story. <laughs> so we just moved and we had like the first people to like knock on our door and, and we were so excited. We we're like, Oh my God, the neighbor wants to meet us, whatever. So we like run to the door and it was Jehovah's witnesses. And I was like, Oh, shit and like this poor girl was with her mom and the girl looked mortified to be there and like I just felt so bad for her and so I finally was just like hey like actually like we're stompy atheists like I'm really sorry and she was like really you live in the bible belt (laughs) and I was like yeah we we don't we don't belong here sorry it's just like affordability and all that shit (laughs) so anyways it was quite funny yeah I mean the I mean the stuff about the forced treatment is legally really interesting and i did a project on it in school i should try and pull up some of my um, work on that and talk about it one day because it was really interesting but they're right everyone has the right to their own opinions thoughts and feelings and in in a lot of ways and this is a really hard one for people including myself is people also have their own versions of truth or their own truths what i think happened and what you think happened can feel equally true to each of us but is not necessarily like a reflection of exactly what happened in a rational way. Yeah. I think, yeah, everyone's version is their perception of what happened. And I think, I think this chapter gets into it a little more later as well. As far as like this first opening section goes, I don't, I don't think I really have any major issues with it. Last time I was like, Oh yeah, we're going to, you know, we're going to try to, it's not as bad as I thought it was. And then we proceeded to just like shit on it for an hour straight. So I'm going to try to take a more neutral approach. I I don't actually, there's not a ton in this chapter that I have huge issues with. Obviously I have some issues and, and the concept, like this book is just triggering for me regardless of like what it says. So one thing that I thought was interesting was it says only you can influence your child's behavior, not control it. Your job is to know who you are, to act accordingly to your own values and beliefs to communicate what you need and what you want to people in your life. 
And I, that is so like reminiscent of dialectical behavior therapy that it's almost funny that they didn't really cite like the skills that you can get from dialectical behavior therapy in this book, because things like the dear man skill, the give skill, those are like exactly acting in accordance to your own values and beliefs and communicating what you need when you, from the people in your life. How old is DBT? 1980 so oh okay yeah so way older than this this. book or 19 i think it's 1993 it like came out still this book was early 2000s yeah so it's definitely been around longer and also like if you're a well anyone if you're anybody in the world this is a really hard one but like knowing like what are your values and beliefs especially your values i think on our patreon we might have like a values tool to like help you figure out what your values are but just something to consider that it's really important um, to think about what your values are and, and know what they are like strongly. This is the last bit of this little section here. It says, you can always encourage people to do what you want through subtle or blatant rewards and punishments, but it is their decision on how to act. And I was like, LOL, and we're the manipulative ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, sounds a little manipulative. <laughs> and it does go into a lot of rewards and punishment stuff later. And it, I have some like interesting thoughts on it, but that that sounds pretty manipulative. Yeah. You're then going to call us manipulative. I mean, like, I suppose technically, yes, because we all operate on, you know, rewards and punishments in in little ways. You know, if you tell someone, oh, I really appreciated that you did this, you know, it's not I'm going to give you a cookie, but that's a reward in itself. But I do lots of things for cookies. Yeah, that's true. Just- it is very true. <laughs> <laughs> but to To lay it out like that seems very manipulative. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I was going to like go down a rabbit hole, but I feel like there's no time for that. Okay. So maybe do you want to read a little bit about the next section here? Sure. So next headline is reason for a BP's denial. Which means a borderlines, just in case you haven't listened to all the other episodes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think it was a big thing in the first one and it's just so frequent that it's not worth calling out every time. I, but, I'm just going to say a borderlines because I think that's easier than a BPs. Yeah. But anyway, it's you do you, man. You do whatever you want. Um, I can't control your thoughts, behaviors, and emotions. I can only influence you and manipulate you. With cookies yes. and rewards. So reasons for BP's denial. It may be obvious to you that the person in your life with BPD needs help, but it may not be obvious to him or her. For people with BPD, Admitting that anything about them is less than perfect, let alone acknowledging that they may have a personality disorder, can send them into a spiral of shame and self-doubt. Quick pause here. I don't I don't know if anyone that I've met with BPD would qualify themselves as perfect and as if insinuating that they're not perfect is shattering some sort of reality that they hold no at all that's a really good point and it didn't even like really occur to me but yeah like this and this entire book in a lot of ways is kind of using the like myth of people with personality disorders don't think that there's anything wrong with them and they're not distressed by their own thoughts, feelings, behaviors, because at least when I was doing school, it was like access one disorders or like anxiety, depression, whatever, and access two disorders are like the more like pervasive ones. And the reason that like personality disorders were an access two is that they don't, or like what makes it a personality disorder is 
my personality affects everybody around me, but doesn't affect me, which is obviously like fundamentally untrue because we're in probably just as much distress as the people around us. I I don't, yeah, I don't know if I've ever met anybody that thinks they're perfect at times. Sometimes I'm like a little over cocky and I'm sure there's other people that are like that too, but I don't even think that's perfection. And I mean, I think that just kind of goes with the ebbs and flows of BPD and the highs and lows in that, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're feeling confident, when you're, and you know, everyone has those times that they're feeling hot or that they're feeling like shit. And it's just, maybe you're feeling a little more confident than other people would or a little more like shit or sometimes a lot more like shit than other would Mm -hmm. there's like a little there's a couple like little gray boxes for some reason and I this book is written weirdly I can't really figure it out but um this box was interesting to me so it says imagine feeling empty virtually without a self now think about admitting that what little self you can recognize has something wrong with it To many people with BPD, that's like ceasing to exist, a terrifying feeling for anyone. And I don't, I don't resonate a ton with the like lack of sense of self diagnostic criteria. So like this quote was kind of like meh to me, but it's an interesting concept. And I'd be curious to hear from our listeners. If you are a person who really identifies with that lack of sense of self, is this accurate to you? Or is this just kind of like them making shit up again? Yeah, I mean, I I couldn't say. I could say that, yeah, that little gray blurb sounds scary. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're imagining yourself in that person's shoes. But again, I don't... I don't know. What? You don't have BPD? Surprise. I fooled (laughs) you this entire time. (laughs) Watching Um, you build IKEA furniture showed me that you don't have BPD. (laughs) Yeah, this is a ridiculously long IKEA build. Yeah. Anyways... Um, so where were we can send them into a spiral of shame and self-doubt to avoid this people with BPD may employ a powerful and common defense mechanism denial. Oh, sorry. Pause. I, I wrote a note saying it says to avoid this. And I put, and the crushing stigma and hatred towards us, people with BPD may de- de- blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just editing this book as we go. Yeah. But you should release an edit at the end. I should. So they may use denial as a defense mechanism they may maintain that nothing is wrong with them despite clear evidence to the contrary they would rather lose things very important to them jobs friends and family than lose themselves once you understand this you will truly appreciate the courage of people with bpd who do seek help okay do you find just for context that like once you understand this blah 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 that's in like closed brackets and i swear to god they've just like re-edited this to like add in like little little like tidbits but they're not always bad or like yeah we did yeah we talked about this last time but it's like all of the gray boxes and all of the stuff in brackets just seems like a weird add-on at the end of paragraphs that like makes things so seem less bad yeah i'd be interested to like find a fifth or a first edition and compare if we had assistance for the podcast i would have somebody like do a compare and contrast but like we love our patreon folks but (laughs) there's not enough of them for that kind of shit (laughs) i uh obviously we've all been through denial everybody's been through denial in some shape or form but though they would rather lose things very important to them jobs friends family than lose themselves i don't know i don't I don't super resonate with that. I do think that like, well, at least at the very much, at the very most, I don't think that that's a conscious 
choice. Like I'm trying to maintain my own self. So I'm going to lose everything else. Like I think it might be a subconscious issue, but not something that people are intending. And I always like try and look at the common denominator, right? Like, well, if I'm constantly fired from jobs or have no friendships, is there a common denominator there? It might be me rather than like the people around me. And like, that's hard to do, but I do like try really hard to use that as like part of my fact checking and wise mind. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a good point. I've, I've heard it put differently. I've heard it put everyone around you is an asshole. Probably you're the one that's an asshole. Right. But it's the same kind of idea. Yeah. It's just like, mine's like more like situation dependent. Right. So if I'm like, if I'm feeling really guilty about something or like, you know, feeling really distressed about like, am I the bad person or like, am I the whatever I try really hard to like, look at the common denominator. And sometimes I find that like, yeah, it is me. And other times it's like, well, if this is happening to everybody else that this person knows, or like, maybe it's not me, maybe it's them or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, you said work, for example, like if, if everyone has a bad relationship with so-and-so person at work, then, you know, maybe it's not you in that case. Yeah. But then, then like the other way around, like if you lose your job every four months because your boss hates you because your boss is an asshole. Well, maybe, maybe it's not that your boss is an asshole. Maybe you're not a very good employee. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Oh, I think that last paragraph before where it says Linda is really important. Uh, Yeah. So People with BPD may seek to avoid confronting problems other people want them to face. They may ask for help or try to alter their behavior, but not on your schedule. If they change, it will be in their own time and in their own way. In fact, it could be detrimental to force others to admit to having problems before they are ready. Yeah. And I, mean, I, I think all true. I All true. And I run into this often because there's a lot of people that I know where I see BPD like challenges and I have to try really hard to not bring it up without it being needed or like whatever. right not like oh randomly here's uh here's my podcast name well I'm like pe- you know it's people in my life that I'm really close with or whatever and it's hey like you know oh like I would I want to say something but I'm not going to because I don't want to like end up with that pushing away which is totally normal. And I would have done the exact same thing. I mean, I talked in the first episode we did about this, about this, this literal book being like thrown at me to like, tell me that I had BPD. And it's like, well, I obviously was like, go fuck yourself. That's obvious. Why would I not do that? So, yeah, I think the more that I'm reading this book, the more to me, it looks like the audience or the intended audience is People who feel like they have been victimized by people that they suspect have BPD. Yes. Oh my God. Literally. Not diagnosed. Yeah. Because there's a lot of like, oh, you know, when when someone does go get treatment, then, you know, it takes a lot of courage and, and a lot of nice things in that regard. But a lot of, a lot of talking about how, you know, they don't recognize or don't want to accept the fact that they have a disorder. Whereas like, a, well, I guess because of the nature of what I do. I mean, I've talked to a bunch of people with borderline and like many people 
if not all people talk about this like intense denial when they first got diagnosed saying, I don't have it. That's not me. You got that wrong, blah, blah, blah. But like, I, there's nobody that I've talked to. And again, this is obviously like a biased sample that hasn't come around to like, oh, maybe this is resonating with me, whether or not they like the diagnosis, whether or not they think diagnoses are helpful, whether or not they, they like self-identify with borderline. Like most people that I talk to say, when I finally actually like sat down and looked at what this meant, it was really important and obvious to me what was going on. Mm -hmm. Um, Even at the BPD walk, I was talking to somebody like that um, who just said like, yeah, I read this diagnostic criteria and was like, holy shit. Actually two people at that walk said that to me. (laughs) And yeah. Yeah. Like no one wants to be told that you have BPD. I think I think part of the issue with the book and the audience or how I understand the audience of the book to be is that it's really putting the, the onus. No more the diagnosis in the hands of the person victimized by, I don't like that word, but yeah. Yeah, I'm using the word in in the sense that all of these are presented as mm-hmm. like the book is for people who feel that they have been victimized by. Yeah. Um so it's like this person in your life they have BPD based on your perception of them and based on what you don't like about them essentially. Yeah. And then it becomes kind of almost determined that they have BPD without them without knowing really. I mm-hmm. mean, maybe the book evolves later on as you move past. I mean, we're on chapter five. We're halfway through this book. I don't know. This is an interesting quote from a person with borderline who says denying our problems is a coping mechanism that helps us borderlines keep the pain and fear under control. The larger the fear, the larger the denial. Please don't try to rip away the denial from borderlines who aren't ready to face the blackness inside. It may be all that's keeping them alive. Interesting. I don't know if I agree or disagree, but interesting nonetheless. This this uh, paragraph, I think, is a good example of like the the kind of like, you know, is it you or is it others kind of situation. So the borderline has destroyed a relationship. She moves on to the next one and the next one and the next one and so on and so forth. A borderline loses a job over his behavior. He blames the boss and moves on to the next one and then the next. She loses custody of her children. It's the damned court system. The fear of change and the fear of the unknown is quite compelling. Thus, denial can be extremely powerful. And in the case of borderline, the fears are so vast, so encompassing, and so overwhelming that the denial can be absolute. That's obviously a pretty one-sided example list so the borderline has destroyed a relationship well relationships are a two-way street right like yeah you know what sometimes it is the damn court system like 100 <laughs> like yeah 100 look at any racialized community and the court system is probably the problem in that circumstance yeah just um, because you have bpd and something bad happens to you doesn't mean the bad thing happened to you because of your bpd exactly same with like a borderline loses his job over his behavior well, maybe the workplace is not set up to be a place where people who have mental health issues can 
be effective employees. That's not necessarily on the person who has the mental health issues. Mm -hmm. So again, a good example of some of those situations where you might want to like look and see, am I the common denominator or is this a different issue and another individual or systemic issue? But sometimes it's a systemic issue. Sometimes it's actually not your fault. So anyways. I just made a note of the examples. First is she and then is he. And my understanding is that it's very, there are fewer men diagnosed with BPD. And I'm not sure if that's because they are underdiagnosed or or what, but I just thought that it was an interesting thing that, you know, there's some recognition from the author there that, that it's, it's not, not just, just a, yeah. I think we talked about this in our first episode on this book, potentially, because we were saying that we think that this author's husband or something might've had BPD because mm-hmm. she's often using he as an example, which is great in terms of like, not only talking about women, but it's, it's, it is really interesting. It's a good point. So then the next big section, when will the BP seek help or when will the borderline seek help? What motivates people with BPD to seek help? In general, people alter their behavior when they believe that the benefit of doing so outweigh the obstacles to change. The specific catalysts for change, however, vary greatly. For some people, the unbearable emotional turmoil of living with BPD is worse than the fear of change. For others, it is realizing how their behavior is affecting their children. Some face their demons after losing someone important to them because of their behavior. I mean, I've seen that. I've seen all of those examples in in real life. And again, it needs to be intrinsic motivation in order to make a change that's going to be sustainable, right? You can't have other people in your life telling you that you need to change. And I think they do talk about that later about like ultimatums about like, if you don't go to counseling, then I'm going to leave you. Okay, well, is that counseling going to be effective or not? Mm-hmm. Right? And like, I mean, I've been told that before. Um, not by Aaron for just <laughs> to clarify. I was really interested by this next little bit because this uh, Rachel Ryland author of get me out of here, a memoir about her recovery with BPD. This is the first book I ever read about BPD. Oh, really? And I remember vividly, Aaron, I was at Beth's cabin reading this book and going through a freaking like just like a weird crisis of like, who am I? What is this about? Was it like early on in your diagnosis? Wait, I don't even know if I'd been diagnosed. Okay. Or like barely diagnosed. Anyways, I didn't actually particularly find this, this uh, passage to be particularly interesting, but um, maybe if we're doing another BPD book club, we can talk about that book as well. Yeah, it, it is a long passage. I don't know if you want to read it. Not really, to be honest. Okay, there is one thing that I thought that was interesting. Just the start of the quote is... As a former borderline. As a former borderline. Yeah. And I just wrote, as a former borderline. Hmm? Like, as it, it just goes away? Like, Yeah, well, like and magic? that's... that's uh, I remember this book being good and bad in some ways. Like, I don't think it's a great example, but it's been, I mean, a very long time, like almost 10 years since I read it. Some people, some people feel that their borderline goes away and that they go into remission. Some people feel that they're fully recovered. Some people feel that they live with it forever, but they're better able to manage it. You know, she's a person who clearly identifies with being recovered from borderline and I'm not going to take that away from her, but it is an interesting, it is an interesting way of framing that for sure. Yeah. 
and not one that I personally relate to. They talk a little bit about, about more about how you can't make your family seek help um, and quoting some other books here, but yeah, I think I'm just, yeah, that's when it talks about the ultimatums, even ultimatums are unhelpful, apprehensive that their loved ones might actually carry out their threat. The BP may agree to see a therapist, perhaps with the partner or other family members. Therapy, however, goes nowhere. That's because even the best BPD clinicians can't help a patient who doesn't want to be helped. Yeah, exactly. Which I think kind of echoes the general sense of the first part of the chapter. Totally. And then there's also this bit about like, if you're like begging people to try and motivate them to go to therapy most of the time, all that results in is finding fault and counter accusations. Like you're the one who needs help, not me. And again, my little edit here said, it's usually both. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So if you find yourself begging people to get therapy, you might also need therapy. Fun fact. Okay. So moving on to the, what we, what you can do. And I did appreciate that they kind of, instead of just saying like, well, you can't do anything, what you can't do. Cause this is what family members are often asking for, especially when we answer the questions like we did at that Sash Bear thing, which is like, well, you really can't force them. And then they're like, but, but that, that's not the answer I want to hear. And we're like, we know, but it's the truth. So what, what you can do, there's nothing wrong with wanting to change a person with BPD in your life. You may be right. He might be a lot happier and your relationship might improve if he sought help for BPD. But in order for you to get off the emotional roller coaster, you will have to give up the fantasy that you can or should change someone else. When you let go of this belief, you'll be able to claim the power that is truly yours, the power to change yourself. And I agree. Um, you know, that's all, that's all you can do really. Mm -hmm. So I think this is one of the things that they're saying that you can do is stop taking the borderlines actions personally. So they borderlines often send, see the world in black and white. They tend to assume everyone sees the things the same way. Uh, I don't know if I agree with that. Like I know that people don't necessarily think, see things black and white. And usually that's annoying to me (laughs) because it's easier to just like kind of have everything in black and white. Yeah, to to me, that's not the same. Like, I don't, things don't seem black and white to me. Yeah. Ever. And to me, it would be extremely stressful for things to To always be black and white. I mean, it's not fun. Don't get me wrong. So then it says most people um, need some guidance in staying clear and focused when the borderline splits. Um, And if you don't know what splitting means, it's often kind of like goes hand in hand with that black and white thinking or the idolization or demonization. Um, which is like, you went from being the perfect person in my life and now I hate you. And that's kind of like the splitting. Um, So this talks about uh, this heading is alternate interpretations. So non-borderlines usually don't ask for help when uh, help in their lives when the borderlines sing their praises. It's important to remember that there's an upside of splitting idealization, and it also has a downside devaluation devaluation. This doesn't mean that you should discount the good things that the borderline says. By all means, enjoy them, but be careful about the positive statements and over-exaggerations as they're hard to live up to. How do you feel about that? I mean, I'm not really sure what the author is trying to say with this, as in, like, be stoked that you're being fed compliments, but don't get too big-headed about them because later on the person is going to expect that from you? No, I don't think that's what they're saying. That's not how I'm reading it. I'm reading it as like the other shoe is always going to drop. They might love you now, but they won't love you later. So don't get too comfortable. Mm. That's how I'm reading it. I'm not, I don't know if that's accurate or not. And then be, be cautious about the declarations and love and commitment. 
that come too soon, for they may be based on the borderline's image of you rather than the real you. Remember that time I said I love you and you didn't say it back? (laughs) You know I was going to say that. Yeah, I was thinking about beating you to it. (laughs) No, I definitely said I love you first and he definitely didn't say it back. Um, And then I was like, what the actual fuck? Of course he loves me. And then I went into a weird crisis and then I had to talk to my friends about it. And they're like, yeah, he obviously loves you. And then, yeah, it it spiraled. Um, But yeah, here we are. Anyways, six years later. Um, (laughs) Still haven't said it. Still haven't said it. Yeah. (laughs) He's really withholding. It's that that That, positive reinforcement. Yeah, 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 exactly. He's like, if I give her a cookie, maybe I don't need to say it. Sometimes it's not the actual event, but the borderline's interpretation of that event that prompts splitting. And they give an example here that I don't particularly think is super helpful, but that's a really good opportunity for fact-checking, right? And that's really what that skill's about is like, you know, this is how I perceived an event, but is that actually what happened going through it, which can be really helpful with somebody else around as well, just to like have a second opinion, kind of second set of eyes. There's some examples here. Some of them... Some of them are reson- like resonate with me. I think I'll just kind of go over the one, um, which is the non-borderline says, I have to work late. I'm really sorry, but I'm going to have to cancel our plans. And what the borderline hears is, I don't want to go out with you this evening because I don't love you anymore. I never want to see you again. And then what the borderline says back to the person is, how could you? You never loved me. I hate you. And I just wanted to kind of flag here something that Aaron is incredibly good at, which is being being really like clear and intentional with adding statements to provide clarity in the actual intent. For example, in this circumstance, you would say, I have to work late. I'm really sorry. I'm going to have to cancel our plans, but I still love you and we can go out tomorrow, which kind of helps like preemptively take away the ability to like think about it wrong, like perceive it wrong. Yeah. I I was going to say like, I think this kind of thing does happen in our relationship maybe a little less dramatic than in the example i really should be more dramatic it's so much more interesting i mean the example above was pretty dramatic with the, the um, doctor one yeah the doctor one is you fool it, it's yeah, like written like a bad know, that's <laughs> it's embarrassing i'd have to do it in, like some weird accent or some shit um yeah i mean i think i think it does happen and i think it's I don't know, over time as someone in a relationship with someone who has BPD, you kind of learn to frame what you're saying and like understand if I were a person with BPD and, you know, things, how would I interpret this if it were black or white? Mm -hmm. And then kind of being like, okay, well, that's, just to be clear, this is not what I mean by by this. Yeah, totally. I think another good example is when texting. Um, so for example, like if Aaron's at work or whatever, and he texts me and says, hey, can I call you? My immediate reaction is, oh my God, somebody died. Like something terrible is happening. And so now when we text each other, hey, can I call you out of the blue? It's like literally we'll say, hey, can I call you? everything's fine just need to talk to you about xyz yeah and like maybe that's a generational thing as millennials because every now and then someone will call me out of the blue and i miss a call and then i'm like 
shit, something happened because why the hell would they call me and not just text me and say, hey, give me a call when you have a second. Yeah. But even like with my coworkers and my bosses and stuff, I'm not the kind of person who handles a team's message that just says, hey, do you have five minutes? Hey, can I talk to you at one? And I I basically need them to say like, hey, can I talk to you at one about X, Y, Z? And I've made that really clear to the people I work with because it's just not good for my anxiety. Because if they send me that message at 9 a.m., I will panic for five hours until 1 p.m. Yeah. And yeah, I think I think that's something that more people should strive to do and outline properly because a, a coworker of mine was complaining about his manager the other day who did that, who said, hey, call me. And that's just like, sounds so doom and gloom and it was to go over some nonsense thing of saying like oh i'm i'm gonna be off work an hour early today or whatever it's like like, a that's a team's message yeah b (laughs) give me some heads up or else i think that i'm getting fired when i call you like this is ridiculous yeah so take notes people if if you do that don't yeah 100 okay we have three more pages before I wanted to stop this episode. And then I really have to go to yoga because I'm going to be late and not be able to get in. Speed round. Yeah, speed round. So uh, triggers versus what causes the borderline's behavior. Understanding the difference between what causes and triggers borderline is crucial to taking the behavior less personally. You can trigger someone's borderline quite easily as you go about your day, but it doesn't mean, however, that you caused the behavior. So again, that's kind of that like intention versus impact thing that Sarah and I often talk about, which is like, you might have not intended for something to come off as like mean or whatever, but it, it may impact somebody in that way. And that's also that, like, what is their truth versus, um, versus your truth kind of thing. Seeking validation and support, huge, obviously super important. That's half of what this podcast is all about. Um, and they talked about having, um, this online group, they, put together and I'm not going to list it here because I just don't know if it's safe and I don't want to promote um, negative resources here, but they were talking about how there's many people who had been like, what, like affected by somebody with borderline in, in their words. And it was the first time they'd connected with another person in the same situation. And just saying that again, we were at this um, borderline awareness walk on Saturday and like, it was an organization that puts it on that does a lot of like parent support groups and stuff. And there were so many parents that were saying like, wow, I, it was the first time I ever met somebody who knew what was going on for me. And it was so incredibly important, um, which I think is great. Yeah. I think um, in a previous er- episode, there was some discussion around the website and the naming of the website outside of, of that issue. I could definitely see how that would be very helpful because, you know, sometimes when we're, when we have a disagreement, I might be upset and, take some time to think about well what is Lori feeling and how did she understand the situation and if you don't have experience with that kind of thing it could be very validating to to be like hey did I did I do something wrong and Mm -hmm. like not understanding because you're not seeing the kind of chain of events of something that you said and how that led to the other person being upset yeah, totally. I mean, it's the reason that super feelers is helpful too. It's just the other like side of the coin, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so don't take a borderline's behavior too personally. I mean, I don't know. The the example they give is kind of okay, but I it I don't really have time to talk about it, to be honest. And it's it's not all that important. I didn't highlight it. This one I think is really important. So uh keep a sense of humor. And Aaron laughed at this example 
because they said many family members find that having a sense of humor helps. And so the example here is about a person who doesn't have borderline and they show up with their uh, wife who has borderline, who uh, they get to a Halloween party dressed up um, and she, he's dressed up as Charlie Brown and she's dressed up as Lucy in the like psychiatric advice, five cents booth, which I don't know if this is why Aaron was laughing, but I've, I've dressed up as that before. (laughs) Then it says, in brackets, ironic, isn't it? Yeah. And Lori has literally dressed up as literally that. Literally dressed up as that as Halloween. I will post that picture on Instagram. And they show up, and it turns out it's not a costume party. And so the the person with borderline kind of like freaks out. And then the husband was just like, "Honestly, this is just kind of hilarious. So we're just gonna we're just gonna roll with this now." And I and if, anyways, it was kind of a funny example. Aaron literally laughed in a Starbucks about this. Yeah, I mean, I find that. A lot of the examples could be seen in people that don't have BPD. Totally. Yeah, someone might feel embarrassed and and then it'll ruin their night. Then they'll be grumpy about it. Doesn't mean that they have BPD and doesn't mean that a person with BPD will have that same reaction. Dude, I would embrace that. You know full well. I'd be like... Yeah, you'd get out of the costume box and be like, why the fuck isn't everyone else in costume? Here you go. Here you go. We're going to Spirit Halloween, folks. That is the beginning of the chapter and we're episode two of this chapter is going to be talking about the section around how to take care of yourself as somebody with living with somebody with borderline. And I think that's really important too. And foreshadowing, they have a list here and I just put nope, nope, nope next to the the three things on the list. So that's what you have to look forward to. Really thankful for everybody. Um, Ashley, Castle, Allison, uh, Nara, Nara and Shanti for joining our Patreon. We super appreciate you. And we'll see you next week with another episode of the BPD Book Club. Love y'all. Bye. Hi, friends. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Bold, Beautiful, Borderline podcast. Lori and I are so grateful that you're here with us on this journey. And we can't wait to dive into more topics in the future with you all about Borderline and even have some more fun and exciting guests to join us on the podcast. If you really enjoyed this episode, we would love if you would rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. We would also love to see you interact with us on social media and on our Patreon page. The links to that are included in the show notes, so check us out there. We would be incredibly honored to get to know you all as you get to know us and our recovery stories. We love you, and we'll see you next time.